This is the Passion Lands Lotta Team Podcast, the top producing real estate team from New York City to the Hamptons. We bring you content week in and week out on all things real estate, finance, and lifestyle. Enjoy. All right, everybody, we are back. Welcome back to the Passion Lands Lotta Team Podcast. We've got Eric Braun here today. Uh, he is a contour mortgage loan originator. Uh, he is killing it. He's, he's killing it on Instagram. He's marketing himself. He's young. He's 24 years old. He is selling a ton of loans and I want to know how this guy's doing it. I want to know why he got in the business and, uh, I want to know what he thinks, uh, with regards to where we've been and where we're going. Um, so welcome to the show, Eric. How are you? I'm doing good. First off, thank you guys for the opportunity. I love what you guys are doing here. Um, I think you're bringing tremendous value to your listeners and the industry at, at, at large. So I, I really appreciate the opportunity for uh, yeah, bringing me awesome. on. So, so listen, I, I want to kick this thing off because you're a young guy, right? And we're talking about people that are making some pretty big decisions, right? I mean, for most people, I would say that buying a house is easily the you know they're looking off a cliff and they got to jump right i mean i know a lot of people that they look at that five hundred thousand dollar house six hundred seven hundred million and they say to themselves oh my god i'm about to take a huge leap in life and take on a big responsibility so so here comes this 24 year old right young guy Mm -hmm. tell me how you how you got in the business tell me how you're overcoming that tell me how you're working with that because to me it's got to be a confidence thing and and you've clearly got that. So, so walk me through how you got in this business and and what it's been like since you got in. There's the So let's unpack unpack that a little bit. First off, I, I, I fell into the industry. Um, I actually ran into an individual. It's almost like a Wolf of Wall Street kind of story where I ran into an individual. We both bonded over the fact that we liked German cars uh-huh. And uh, he had a nice one. I didn't. Right. <laughs> and uh, in my mind, as an 18 year old kid, if you drove an Audi, that means you're making tons of money. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I, I kind of followed this guy. And uh, over the two years of knowing him, he asked me one day, what am I doing for work? And at the time I was not doing anything. Uh, I was unemployed. And I said nothing. And he said, how about, you know, I like I know you like uh, Audis and I know you like um you know, cars and all that. I'm going to buy a new car. Why don't you come be my chauffeur? I said, absolutely. That's that was like a dream job to me at the time. (laughs) You know, I'm unemployed. I'm 20 years old. I get to drive, drive, drive around in a really nice car all day. That's sign me up. Right. And uh, little did I know he was just joking around. So after two weeks of talking to me every single day saying, Hey, when are you going to come be my chauffeur? He finally said, all right, I'm just kidding. Come to my office. I have a real job for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't even know I was showing up for an interview. I showed up, you know, looking like this. I had a T-shirt on and I had no idea what I was what I was walking into. And I walked into like a really serious office and he sat me down, put an employment package in front of me and he said, sign here. And and I, that's what I did. I didn't ask him how much I was getting paid, what I was going to be doing. Um, but in two weeks after the background check came back um, and it came back clean, thank God, uh, you know, I was I was uh, thrown on the phone, and I started I started as a telemarketer in in the refi boom a few years ago, about four years ago now. Um, 
and then my business took off from there, you know? So that's how I got into the industry. Right. Um, now being young in the industry, uh, I believe it's only an obstacle if you look at it as an obstacle. Like I, I sit down with families all the time. A lot of them are twice my age and I'm going to say nine times out of 10, they never ask me how old I am mm-hmm. because I, because I portray that confidence and, and I am seasoned. You know, when you're, when you're going four years straight, um, well, not four years straight, for, but for the past two years, you're helping four, five, six, seven, eight families per month. Um, you're a seasoned professional at that point. And, and, I, and when I do talk mortgages, suddenly my, my age doesn't become a factor in anything. Right. You know, um, but, but that's really my story on how I got in the industry. And, and uh, it's, it's kind of funny how it all worked out. Thank, thank God for that individual who brought, who brought me in though. Cool. So I was going to say, I mean, when, so you walk into this office and you sign these papers and you get on the phone, you start calling. I mean, did you have to have had some sort of, I mean, interest in it, right? Was it just because you kind of wanted to get, get the car or did you actually kind of like what you were doing? Um, it was, it was a mixture of wanting to make more of myself and not having any other options. Um, that's, I mean, at that point in my life, I did not have any other options. I mean, my other options were go get, you know, a dead end job and, 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 you know, make an hourly wage. And I really, from the beginning had no interest of doing in doing that. So this, this opportunity kind of opened my eyes, not only to mortgages and real estate, but just the endless possibilities of life in general, um, financially speaking. And also when it comes to like a mindset and working with other individuals, impressive individuals. Yeah. So what was the, what was the progression from telemarketer during the refi boom to where you're at now? Take us through that process. Absolutely. So, um, this is kind of where it gets interesting. So I, I don't want to ever paint the picture where I got started in the industry and I started killing it and I loved it. Right. Because that's that's far from the truth. Right. I did. I did pretty well for for my my first year, but I definitely didn't like what I was doing. Um, And. A part that on top of a lot of other things in going on in my life at that time, uh, I was at what what I like to call a jumping off point where it's I had I had to make a decision um, to do things differently. Right. And this is this is in the middle of my career or, or in the first few years of my career. So first year and a half, two years. And I was living a life that I didn't want to live. I felt like I was at a dead end job. Um, I felt like, you know, lost. Um, and my life didn't have any meaning or purpose at that point. And I took a step back and, and I, through a lot of soul searching, I, I figured out that I don't have to live a life that I don't want to live, right? And that's, that's where that whole defeat average movement in my brand really started from is, is from serious, serious emotional and spiritual pain. Um, and out of that came my brand. And, and I said, well, I'm not only going to you know, change my life and, and defeat average in my personal life, but I'm also going to defeat average in, in the real estate industry as a whole. And that's, that's where it took off. That's when I decided to get my license. 
and I started to, to transform in, uh, from refi into purchase. Now my business is, you know, 20% refi, 80% purchase. So is that, um, the, is that the goal of, of lenders is to do more purchases than refis or does it not even matter? I think it depends on the market. Right. It depends on the market because if while during those first, you know, that second year, rates were going up. So the refi business started to, you know, dry up, if you will. Um, and a lot of places actually shut down because of that, because they were so heavily focused on refinances. And a lot of loan officers got their, you know, it was it was harder to make money because now rates are going up, less people are refining. There's always going to be people refining no matter what the market is because people want to take cash out, et cetera, buy a new home, um, all that fun stuff. But I think in this day and age, you have to you have to know how to get purchase business. Um, and that's that's harder. I think it's harder to build a purchase pipeline because you have to go out there, market yourself. It's not as easy buying leads and calling. So you know? is, is, for if I was to put myself in your shoes, I, I would think my biggest customer would probably be realtors. No, I mean you want you want to find teams and individuals who are doing a lot of transactions every year, yep. or maybe get a few deals from ten different people, and and you got a living. You know, so absolutely. Um, kind of walk me through what your prospecting process looks like, and and, and how you go about finding where you're gonna pull business from and, and who you're going to talk to to do that and all that good stuff. Right. Sorry about that. So there's, a, there's a bunch of different ways to build your business. Number one, and there's not any right way, just like as a realtor, you can focus on investors and I want to, I want to list all these, you know, this builder's homes, or you can focus on first time home buyers, maybe have events and, um, you know, constantly be pre prospecting for, for buyers, or you can call Fizbo's and door knock. You know, and, and I think every realtor has a healthy mixture of both, of all, I mean, um, and same thing goes with the loan officer. So I would say my main majority of my business, actually 100% of my business is all referral, whether that be from past clients or from other real estate professionals, mm -hmm. whether that be financial advisors, accountants, builders, or realtors, mostly realtors, because um, there's a lot of you guys. Now, my whole my whole thing is all right how do i separate myself from every single loan officer calling you on a monday right asking for business how do i how do i separate myself from just another nagging loan officer calling or or you know hitting up a realtor asking for business that's where not only did my career take off but my whole you know my whole life changed at that mm -hmm. point when i when i really dialed in on this and that's what I call, uh, after contemplating and trying to figure out how to separate myself, I, I call it my partner approach. So not only am I going to give your clients outstanding service, I mean, you know, aside from that, aside from keeping you in communication throughout the whole entire process, because mm -hmm. I know one thing loan officers are known for is not picking up the phone. That's not at all how I build my business, mm -hmm. aside from that. Aside from closing, you know, difficult loans and maybe the non-QM products and all that fancy stuff, the bells and whistles. Aside from all that stuff, I want to focus on adding value to the people I do business with. And that's when my whole, my whole business took off. And there's a bunch of different ways I do that. And I can, I can honestly say 
that the, let's say, top five realtors that I work with will tell you that I've positively impacted their career and helped them close more transactions in a numerous, numerous amounts of ways. So that's what I focus on. And then all of a sudden, when I focus on that, the business started, you know, really, really coming and, and kind of, you know, flooded, flooded the pipeline, if you will. Right. So I would say the most important thing as a realtor is you, you, you just don't want a deal to blow up. Right? 100%. You want, you don't want any, any surprises. You, you want it, you want the file to go through the underwriting process without a hiccup and right. you want to get to that closing table and not, and know that you're going to collect a paycheck that day. So tell me about a time it probably happened early on in your career. It had to have happened when a deal blew up. And well, you, I will say this as a preface. Um, hold on. I think I lost you on the audio. You there? Okay. There you go. Yep. Okay. Um, I will say this. I've never submitted a deal to underwriting that didn't close. So yeah. that's first and foremost. But you've um, never had a hiccup in the middle of a deal. That's not true. <laughs> there you go. Now, now, so there's been a bunch of times, um, you know, clients all of a sudden get a, get a new car during the transaction. Mm-hmm. Clients uh, lose their job, unfortunately, during the transaction. Uh, clients deposit that money when you told them you can't deposit, you can't use that money. You know, mm-hmm. um, I've had clients go late on all their credit cards and now we have a 550 score and we were planning to go conventional. So that's an issue. How do we fix that? And I think before I even get into like an exact scenario, if a deal, if a deal is having income problems or, you know, there's underwriting issues two, three weeks in, that means somebody didn't do their job. Yeah. Very simply. Yeah. That means somebody dropped the ball. I'm, I'm a big support. I, I'm a big, um, and, and this isn't to give me all the credit. When I say I've never submitted a deal into underwriting that didn't close, that's, I'm going to say mainly um, because of the team I'm with, we have a system where we're not working on dead deals. Right. And we pride ourselves on that. Um, and now after doing volume for a certain amount of years, you get to the point where you know what the underwriter likes and you, you know what they don't like. You know what they're going to ask for if the scenario is this, because you've already ran into that scenario. Mm-hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. You're running into new scenarios every single day. But once you get the general idea of things, you should be able to underwrite a file before it goes into underwriting. Right. right? Um so that all aside, to give you, I mean, a story, deal goes into contract. Uh, it's a wife, husband and wife. Um, wife gets diagnosed with breast cancer. Oof. I, I'm going to say a week into the deal being into contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we got that going on, right? And... I'm constantly talking to the husband and I don't even want to talk about the mortgage at this point because it's like, what, you know, what's really important here. Right. Right. Um, now wife also goes late on her credit cards, right? She didn't have good credit to begin with. We're talking about a low 600 score. Now we're in the 500s. We can't use her. period. Mm -hmm. So now we can't use her because of her credit score and we have to remove all of her income from the deal 
which now there's a debt to income ratio problem, right? Now this, this individual, the husband can't qualify on this loan without his wife. Luckily, if not, not really luckily, cause we knew this was always like a backup plan. Uh, his second job was about to hit two years. The guideline is you can't use two jobs unless you've, unless that borrower has been, uh, has a history of working those, not those two jobs, but two jobs in general for, for two years. Reason being is because banks don't want you to be able to go pick up a side job just so you qualify for a loan, right? right? So you need to have a history of working two jobs in order to use both of them as income. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the time we just use one because we only need one. But anyway, in this case, we needed both now because we have the borrower, the, the wife off the deal. Um, so our options are the deal can close because he's going to be two years at his second job in two months. So we got to drag this out. Of course, I'm letting the listing agent know. I'm letting the realtor know. I'm letting him know. Everybody knows what's going on because um, at this point, we got to deal with it. There's no point of hiding, which a lot of loan officers like to hide problems and they don't pick up the phone. And oh, yeah. That's all another story. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm being very vocal about what's going on. And the other plan C, I guess you can say, so that's plan B. Plan C is child support. He's paying child support to his last wife. And that's going to come off or he's not going to have to pay child support anymore in two weeks. So he's going to court in two weeks and he has to provide that paperwork to us to show us that he's not liable for it anymore. Mm-hmm. Luckily, he was able to get that paperwork because I don't want to rely on the court to close my loan because God knows talk you know about, what happens about, in family court. Talk about right? a tangled web. <laughs> yes. Right? And yeah. this process where you're describing right now for anyone who's listening – this is what separates the men from the boys in this industry because life Absolutely. gets in the way. And when life gets in the way, it's it's this is why people like Eric are extremely important in being involved in these deals. And you have to have someone with the same fortitude as Eric. But continue because this is this is an insane <laughs> I'll wrap story. it up. Real, yeah. So we got the document saying he does not need to pay child support anymore. So now we don't need to wait two months for that set, for that um, employment history for the second job. And we were able to close with just him on the loan, just one job without the child support. And that took, I'm going to say, th- uh, 36 days, wow. if I remember correctly. Wow. So even the difficult file, this is another thing that I always like to say, even the difficult files shouldn't take longer. Because yeah. they should, you should already have a plan B and a plan C, right? Right. If you know going into it, you know uh, this income is a little sketchy. He didn't make as much in la- last year. What if they average? If an underwriter averages a deal and the, and and last year was very very light, that could kill a deal. Now you have income problems three weeks into contract. Right. Right. Um, so how do we overcome that? Do we prep? And it's all about prepping the client, right? So. Even if it's a tough deal, what I, I like to pride myself on is the client knows how tough it is, number one, and they know exactly what we need to do in order to get this done. Now, could you imagine that same situation that I was just running through? Right. And let's say a company called Torpedo Mortgage was, was, mm. was you know, working on this file. It would be an absolute, that's a dead deal. 
So the realtors are losing out time, money, everything. The seller is not, is not getting a check. The buyer isn't getting their house. And that's really like you said, and I appreciate you saying that because a lot of people don't get it. What separates the men between the boys and what's, and, and the importance of having a seasoned loan officer on your transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's one of my stories of, as you know, so when you're, so when you're sitting, cause you're, you said you're hundred percent referral. So when, yes. when people refer a buyer to whether they, I don't know what your business is, um, if it's 70% first time home buyer, or if it's, you know, kind of mixed up 50, 50, what's for the people who are, let's say first time home buyers, um, because right now, as you know, mortgage rates are really low. A lot of people are buying houses. Well, um, what? T- sorry to interrupt. What What is the current mortgage rate? Like a thirty year fixed rate for someone with good credit, average home buyer. For compliance purposes, since I can't throw up any disclaimers right here, I don't want to get hit with a fine. <laughs> you're looking at a range from anywhere from low threes to high fours, right? It depends mm-hmm. on so many different things. Yep. But historically speaking, we're at a we're at a low point. We're definitely at a low point. So, good question. So if you what do you say to those people? Cause they're coming in, you know, like wh- how do you guide them to, you know, if they are a first time home buyer, what's yeah. kind of the process you take them through so that they know that, you know, they're going to close on the house and they're not yeah. going to have an issue with it. Like, what do you, what do you take them through with that? So first and foremost, um, I, I call it like an initial consult, right? Where we get on the phone and, and I take them through number one, the application, how long they've been working at their employer, where's the money coming from. A lot of the, uh, the important questions, because a lot of times one of those questions, if you miss it, then you have issues, right? You didn't ask them what they made last year and now you submit a file, the deal's in contract, you've got a big issue. So it's a big responsibility to take a thorough application. Aside from that, which should be standard, but it's really not. Well, so I like to. Sorry to interrupt again, but so for people who don't know, what are the major things, you know, if someone's going to buy a home, and they, they want to talk to a mortgage broker. I mean, what are the major questions that they should expect? And if they don't, if they don't get, should raise a red flag in terms of, you know, what this person's asking for? There's so many. Um, the, I, to, the quick answer would be income credit assets, right? That's the three things that are always underwritten during a mortgage to keep it super simple. Um, we fill out something, every bank fills out something called the 1003 mm-hmm. or a uniform residential loan application, ERLA it's called. All right. Um, that, that document is, I'm talking pages of extremely fine. So there's so much information that's packed into that, Mm -hmm. but I'd say, um, I'd say definitely employment history. That's a biggie that, that crushes a lot of deals, Mm -hmm. uh, credit history. Cause sometimes it's the guy has excellent credit, but he had a foreclosure, you know, two years ago. And that that's that there's seasoning requirements for certain types of loans for the time period after a foreclosure or a bankruptcy, something that might not show up on credit, but normally does. So asking those questions, Hey, has anything happened in your life? You know, <laughs> um, where do you live now? Right. Where do you work? Cause if you're buying a house in Jersey, but you work in Suffolk is the underwriting going to believe that that's your primary residence and you, you can be able to take advantage of a low down payment. Right. So stuff like, like, and it, it all comes down to experience and knowing what, how to underwrite a file before it goes into underwriting. Right. The, the bottom but, line being, if someone's talking to a mortgage broker or a loan officer, they want to make sure that person's asking them detailed questions. Cause if they're yes. not, 
underwriting is going to ask the detailed questions and they're exposing yes. themselves to potential problems in the future. Exactly. Cause at the end, and for the people who aren't listening, what's an underwriter, what's underwriting? Like, what does that exactly mean? The underwriter is the person who's actually signing off on that loan. Yeah. And what a lot of loan officers do and, and, and what, and I don't want to bad talk anybody, but unfortunately we kind of have to, um, cause this is what's going on. And what a lot of companies do is they make it sound so easy to get a mortgage, but it's not. It's easy for some people if they're if they're if it's spotless. If a deal is spotless, then it's it's it should go super easy. Unfortunately, the mar the marketing um, mantra that's being thrown out into the marketplace right now is come to us, we can do your loan extremely easy, mm -hmm. right? And now what happens is you're setting the buyer's expectation incorrectly, especially if that person has a difficult situation. Not to go into another story, but I had somebody pre-approved that, let's say, torpedo mortgage. Again, the, the buyer's agent they were working with told them time and time again, listen, I've had extremely bad experiences with this company. You need to speak with Eric. I spoke with them, went through the whole spiel. Um, they were offered an insanely low interest rate from that company, right? And I told them, I'm, I'm here. I'm probably an eighth of a point higher, but you got to be careful because I, I don't know what's going to happen. And your, difficult, your situation sounds a little difficult. Long story short, uh, they, they went ghost on me, still worked with the realtor, um, went in, and I'm not going to chase that deal and blow out the relationship and ruin it for that agent. So I, I'm hands off at this point, goes into contract on a house, calls me a few days into contract and go, and their first question was, what's the lowest credit score do you, can you do? <laughs> and I said, well, this is, this is a bad question to ask at this point. And they said, my loan was denied. I, you know, I'm in contract right now. Can you help me? And, and because the marketing mantra of that company is come to us, we can do everything online and it'll be super easy. They were fooled. And now they were offered an extremely low interest rate, which is great, but the, the company can't do the loan. So what does that rate even matter at that point? Yeah. Right. Um, so that's, that's just an example of what can happen. And, and back to you, Paul, like you were talking about first time home buyers, there's so much misinformation out there. And I'd say one of the biggest disservices my industry does for the industry at whole is make it sound so easy because it's not. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so, definitely. So what you're saying is it's a marketing ploy yes. for these mortgage companies to turn around and say, we'll get you the loan. And yep. then lo and behold, they take you halfway down the road in this process and then they mm -hmm. go up oh, well you know maybe we can't do this and now you've made commitments and, and you're in a very bad way there was a time uh, wexford we, we we sold a house mm -hmm. and we actually got to the point where uh they were going to sign contracts the pre-approval that we took to our sellers turned out to be a completely fake document completely fake and the house was let's say a $500,000 house the guy put $250,000 down on contract right so he was with some fake 
mortgage company or whatever it was that mm-hmm. overpromised something, underdelivered, whatever the case was, couldn't get the loan. He yeah. had two hundred and fifty grand on the line. So I hear what you're saying. It, it, it's very true. So, uh, well, what people have to understand is just think about it logically. On Long Island, houses are expensive. A bank is not going to give you hundreds of thousands of dollars, literally, without doing their due diligence. They're gonna they're gonna look at things in a very detailed manner, right? So if, if you think that, first of all, you have to understand a pre-qualification, a pre-approval is not a license that you're going to get a mortgage. And then if you think that you can hand over a few docu- a few documents quickly and easily, and boom, you're going to get that mortgage, I mean, that's crazy. The bank is going to, at some point, in under, during the process of underwriting, right, but just thinking about it logically, at some point is going to do a very detailed and thorough inspection of who they're lending this money to and right. make sure they can afford it. So it, it's a point I want to stress in that when you're going to buy a home, a pre-qualification and a pre-approval is not a license to get a mortgage, but also... The person that says, oh, just get me a couple documents and, and you know, I'll get you the pre-approval. That's that right there is a red flag. The person that says, come in, let's sit down in person. Let's have a conversation. I'm going to collect a lot of documents here. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. Well, that might be a little more of a pain initially. The person that does that is the person that is the actual professional and you want to trust that you're going to be in good hands throughout the process. Because to Ron's point also, once you sign the contract and you put that money down while they're all, you know, well, if you have a good attorney, which you should have a good real estate attorney, there's all sorts of clauses that can protect you. You know, yeah. you're also becoming liable a lot of times for that purchase and the money you yeah. put down. But what if they made it non-contingent on the mortgage? Exactly. To get exactly. the house because we're in such a competitive type market. That's yeah. not some, that's something that a lot of people definitely I, I, consider. I, yeah, all, all, the time, all the time, especially now when you're getting multiple offers on a house. I mean, who, who's going to give me the best deal, you know, for my client, right? You know, and, right. and if somebody says, listen, you know, it, it's not contingent on the mortgage, that, that's almost that's almost a done deal pretty yeah. much. I mean, because there's yeah. no way you can mess that up. You either have the money or right. you don't have the money. Um, right. But the circle back, so you brought up in the beginning, like what separates yourself from what people don't know. You, you say uh, not your average lender. Right. So that's kind of been your like your brand name, I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. you're big on on Instagram, you know, and social media. So when did you start with that? Why did you how did you get into it? Why did you do it? How did you grow it? I'm yeah. How did you grow that. it? Yeah. So um, I started my let's call it like my personal thing. Uh, probably if I've been in a concert. I'm going to say two and a half, two years ago. Um, and that's when I like really stay. And I'm talking about consistent two and a half, two years of uh, hammering this thing home. And the reason I got started is, again, like I'm always asking myself as an entrepreneur, right? Even though I'm not technically speaking, I'm a W-2 employee, right? I'm an employee of a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys, realtors, you're really entrepreneurs. You're, you're self-employed. You may hang your license at a brokerage, but... Um, your self, you pay yourself, right? Um, I like to think of myself as an entrepreneur because at the end of the day, I, I eat what I kill. You know, I'm, I'm no different than you guys as far as commission works out and, and stuff like that. I mean, besides you guys make a lot more money per deal, but that's a whole nother story. Um, <laughs> it wasn't always I, like that. It wasn't <laughs> always like that. So, so quick little rerun. <laughs> when I was in high school, I we used to telemarket for a Southern Star Mortgage. Oh uh, yeah. Which I think yeah. I think got closed down. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes. I was 16 years old. We used to go there after high school with a bunch of buddies. Okay. They used to sit That's us down crazy. at the table. And then they they would have these they they put us on dialers and they would have these names pop up with these fake numbers next to them, so the number would be like let's say thirty thousand dollars and they would tell us your sales pitch is, Mister So and So, you have thirty thousand dollars in revolving debt on your credit report that you can consolidate into your mortgage for four percent and you're paying eighteen to twenty two percent on your credit cards. And these people were full, and then we, they would fall for it, hook, line, and sinker. And we would send them to the to the mortgage guys. But those guys, they were charging points on the front, points on the back. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know, all kinds of fees for applications, and they'd walk away with like thirty grand on a three hundred thousand dollar mortgage. Yep. It got, yep. Well, that's why we've obviously had some reform, but, but <laughs> it wasn't, the point being, it wasn't always like that. No, and and. Right, we've had reform, rightfully so. So, um, I only hear stories about those days. I, I never really, I don't know about it firsthand, but I, I have heard stories, and it was it was a wild, wild west. Yep. It was the wild, wild west. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so as an uh, as an entrepreneur, for lack of a better word, I always need to ask myself, how am I going to separate myself Absolutely. in this in this crowded space? As a realtor, when there's thousands of realtors just like me, same license, same certification, how do I separate myself from 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 the pack? Um, and I said, social media, right? If I want to serve and help the most people, I have to be where the most people are. Ninety percent of the time, we're on the internet, we're on social media. It has become the internet. Staring at it your is phones. the internet. Yeah. Right. Facebook is Google and Instagram is Google images. Mm -hmm. So I need to be where the, where the, where the population is, where my target audience is, which is, you know, uh, potential home buyers, people who are looking to refi and then also other real estate professionals to hopefully build a relationship with that person so that they can send me their customers. Right. Mm -hmm. And if I really, and I thought about it, I'm, I, I had like a Eureka moment. If I really take the time and invest my time, energy, and money into social media, I can, I will be the biggest loan officer in, in the country. And that is my goal to do, to do so is to be the top lender in the country one day. Cool. So that's, that's how it, that's like the mindset behind it and uh, why I started and the journey of doing it to hit on that a little bit. Um, I feel like there's, there's certain breakthroughs, just like anything we try and learn in life. Right. Uh, let's take the gym for example, you know, example, like at one point did I learn it's not only about working out, it's also about diet, Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And, and that's, I've had a multiple experiences like that over the two, two and a half years I've been building my, my, my brand, if you will, uh, through social media where it's like, I realized, you know, all right, pictures and, and content like this work better than pictures and content like this. Mm. Um, and let me double down on this. And, you know, who cares if my hair is all messed up? Post the picture, you yeah. know, only only we're thinking about that. And there's there was like little breakthroughs along the way. And uh, and it's also, I think, very important to follow people who are doing it doing what you want to do at a higher level so, so how, how do you as a loan as a loan originator right mm -hmm. i mean mm 
a realtor, I get it. You know, we're we're in and out of some gorgeous homes. There's a lot of content there. Mm-hmm. Instagram's a very visual. It's, it's a very visual platform with all these photos and, and videos and stuff like that. How did you go about saying to yourself, okay, I'm going to create this content on this platform that's that's interesting and engaging, yet mm-hmm. it's it's not like you have these these visual props like we do to help grow those platforms. So there's a few things. Um, first, the focus on the brand or the personal brand before anything else, right? It's not about mortgages. It's not about real estate. It's about me, right? And believe it or not, even if you're listening to this right now and you think that you're not interesting and people don't want to follow you, trust me, you're, you're interesting and people want to follow you, right? They don't want to follow the houses. They want to follow you. So having that that mindset going into it, and I, I learned that through the process. That's definitely one of the ways. Um, what was your question again? Just so I can circle back to it. Creating interesting content on a platform when okay. it's a visual platform and right. So the the hyper focus on the personal brand, like who I am, number one. Um, who, and then also giving a detailed with every piece of content, you should be pushing your brand forward. Right? So if your brand, for instance, I'm going to keep it on myself because that's all I can really speak about is not your average lender. I need to make sure the messaging behind every piece of content that I put out is why I'm not your average lender. Right? Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Number two is, is creating a, a mission. People want to follow a mission. People follow causes. Look at look at religion, right? Yeah. Look at, I mean, religion. People do crazy things for, <laughs> right? There's there's to, total ends of the you know different sides of uh, the coin there, right? Yeah. Um, people do crazy crazy things. People are you know follow it to to death, literally, like literally. Yeah. Now what is my mission, right? My mission and, and my mission statement is to remove average from, from real estate by adding value to real estate professionals and consumers. That's my mission. So at every piece of content, or I try every piece of content, am I, am I trying to accomplish my mission? So now people wanna see what ends up happening with you, right? What happens, what's gonna, where's Eric gonna be in a year from now? Mm-hmm. I want people tuning in like that, like watching my every move, you know, whether they don't want to see me win or whether they want to see me win. Cause there's going to be a lot of old friends that say that like comment and all that stuff and say, I'm so, so proud of you, but they're not, they, you know, it's, it's making them kind of put pressure on themselves. About so it. I think, I think attaching a mission to it is, is extremely, extremely important. And a lot of people overlook that. About, I guess it was a week, two weeks ago, we interviewed um, Tony uh, yeah, Peck yeah, yeah. and Francis from, from Why Not You Media. And, and, great guys. Uh, they're great guys. And I know you or he had said, um, I don't know how long you guys have been working together for, but um, you guys work together for content, I think, now, don't you? Correct. How, yeah. how much yeah. did he help you, unless you already had it in place, form that identity, I guess you can say? and come up with ideas of how you could put content out. So not your average lender existed before I started working with them. Um, con- the content 
I always had somebody making it or, or I was doing it. But I will say having a team um, that focuses on that for you, they don't post for me. They don't write the captions. They don't have control over my account. But just the, the actual capturing of the content, having a team that does that and focuses on that for you frees up your time. Because the main, the main excuse I hear people uh, using for not building a brand or taking social media seriously is I don't have time. It's very time consuming. How many, I mean, I've heard it. I've said it, right? I, I, don't, I can't post every day, right? And I don't really want to post every day, but that's a whole other story. But having, having a system to capture that content where it doesn't completely blow out my schedule, which it easily could if you do it the wrong way, yep. uh, is, is crucial. I think that's where they really helped uh, kind of maximize my time. Cause as a realtor, as a loan officer, we're busy, we're constantly being pulled in 10. And, and if you're not busy, there's a problem, yeah. right? It, it, we're constantly being pulled in 20 different directions, right? The last thing I want to focus on is, is, is a photo shoot, right? But I know it's necessary to push my brand forward, which will then help me do more of what I'm supposed to be doing, which is closing loans. So they helped me, um, th- kind of, pin that down and make sure that I'm creating content, good content on a, you know, decent frequency. And the, and it's now just recently over the past couple of months, I mean, it's not just now, you know, for people listening who may not know, it's not just, you know, Instagram content. Now you're doing uh, speaking events and you're doing the big thing now, which you know for is, is the brewery events. Uh, which yeah, I yeah, missed yeah. the last one. I wanted to go, but, um, but so tell me about that. How did you start? I mean, cause it's a great idea. So tell me about the brewery. How did you come up with it? What is it for the people who don't know? And, and going forward, what are you going to do with it? So this is something I'm super like, as like, as soon as you mentioned brewery, I started smiling, right? This is like my baby. Mm. Um, it's something I'm super passionate about and I thank you for bringing it up and hopefully all of you can come to the next one. I, being in the industry young, I don't know if you guys ever experienced this, but yeah, I don't know. You ever been to a networking event and you sat there for an hour, two hours, three hours, and you said to yourself, why the hell am I here? All the time. You know, this, this, this did nothing for my business. Yeah. It's boring. I don't want to hear this guy talk anymore. Who cares about FHA 203K loans? Like who cares about title? I don't need to know that stuff. Right. Um, and obviously you do need to know about it and it's good to know about rehab loans, but let's, let's be honest. That's not the most exciting topics. Right. Um, so having multiple experiences like that, I said to myself, all right, my, well, my mission is to defeat average, right? We need a new networking space. We need a new, a new event for real estate professionals. And I'm going to say, the median age at one of these events is like 25, 27 years old. You know, that's super young for a real estate event. Yeah, yeah. And it makes for a really cool environment. So the whole, the whole goal and thought behind brewery. So for the people listening, uh, you know, you, you don't see the logo in front of you and I wonder if I can pull it up, but we'll put one up. if you want, I we'll, can superimpose we'll, the logo. Yeah, underneath we'll put you. One in. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So yeah, if you see the logo, it makes a lot more sense. Um, but for the people listening, uh, it's, it's brewery. So it's obviously a play on words with like a brewery. 
It's spelled B-R-E-W-R-E. And the, the R-E at the end, it stands for real estate. Yeah. Okay. So it's a real estate networking event that's hosted at breweries. And the idea is to move it from location to location. Um, so the fir- our first event was Oyster Bay. We had about, I'm going to say 60 to 80 people show up to our first event with like, I'm going to say a week of promotion. Like it was very, it was thrown together and we, everybody had a really good time. Uh, Our second event, we went big and we did the Brooklyn brewery, right? We got the whole space. They gave us tours of, of the actual facility. Like you got to walk behind there and see how the beer is made and and stuff like that. And we had over a hundred people. I'm going to say 120 was the final count. I have a friend Um, who went. What'd you say? One of my friends went. He said it was awesome. Who? Uh, his name's Andy Machado. Yes. Yeah, 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 yes. And yes. Um, so that was really cool. That was really, really cool. And, and the idea is the, the like tag, if you will, is uh, connect, relax, enjoy. Right. And our hashtag is beer and real estate, because that's all we want it to be about. We don't want it to highlight one individual more than the other. Right. Um, at the last event, I said, you know, this isn't my event. This is your event. So I, I, although like it is building a buzz and I'm becoming known for that, I don't necessarily want me to be the focus of that event. I want it to be for number one, the people I'm doing business with currently to show appreciation for them. Cause again, my business is hundred percent referral. And I realize that. And number two, to build new relationships with individuals that are like-minded and and want to take their business to the next level. How so it's a really cool environment. Like, how did you, I mean, the second one maybe had a little bit, you know, of experience, but the first one, how did you go like, yeah, I'm going to rent out a brewery space. Like how, and like, how did you do that? Did you find a space? Did you just call a bunch of them up and say, Hey, I want to do a networking event here. You know, can we rent the space out? Like how did, how did you do it? So my, my partner knows the owner of the first venue. Okay. So that was like the natural thing to do. It was in somewhat of a centralized location uh, in Oyster Bay. So, all right, give some people from Suffolk a chance to get out. It's not too far west, but also, you know, make the people from out west drive a little north. And, and uh, it's funny because uh, so he, he introduced us or, or made that connection. And we got in contact with the owner and said, you know, we want to we want to rent out the space. All you can drink beer, by the way, at all of our events. Um, oh, it is isn't it? Paid. Yeah. What'd you say? I didn't even know that. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and people say that they're like, "Oh, you you should have told me it was all you can drink beer. I would have showed up." I, I, <laughs> you know? I would have came. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's yeah, it's free free admission. Um, I always said like, if we ever did charge, and we ended up being positive it would donate to a charity. Like, I don't want to make money off this. That's number one, not the goal. It's, it's to create an environment that I, like I said, to kind of uh, eliminate the need to go to those boring network events, you know, and we're trying to have it quarterly. And also a part of the vision is to have this thing national one day where there's like a Florida chapter of brewery and a California chapter of brewery. And um, it's a, a platform that we want to take national. That's that's awesome. That's creative. That's that's something a lot of people are into. I mean, it's it's leisure and networking at the yes. same time. And yes. are you doing another one before the end of the year, or you're not sure? Not before the end of the year. So first quarter next year. So I'm trying to. It it was a lot of time and energy to pull off this last one because I was trying to. Uh, I'm going going big with it because uh, it's not 
cheap to rent out the Brooklyn brewery for a day and then offer free, free, free beer for every guest that attends. Um, so I was trying to make the most out of it. So I'm kind of giving myself a, a little bit to kind of recuperate. <laughs> and then I also think that like nobody wants to do that every month yeah, or, no, or maybe yeah. people do, but those are the, those are not the people that I want to do business with yeah. um, that are going to get hammered every, every, you know, every weekend. Too but when I, anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah. So talk to me about the past 18 months mm-hmm. of interest rates because we've had a lot of moves, right? Interest right. rates were, were were real low. They started inching them up last year. In January, they were almost at 5% on a 30-year mortgage. Mm-hmm. Since then, they've basically fallen through the floor because we saw a lot of uh, a lot of volatility in the markets. Mm-hmm. So walk me through the past 18 months of your business and what you've seen and then where you think we're headed the next 6 to 12 months. So first and foremost, no, 18 months, still historically low. Yeah. Despite the peaks, like, you know, you mentioned that we were almost in the fives. I'd say we did break into the fives um, at one point. Um, I'm not going to, maybe in January, that was the case. I don't want to ex- pinpoint a month, but that sounds about right. Um but I'm going to say, yeah, over the past 18 months, there has been a lot of ups and downs. Rates are going. One day the news is saying rates are going up. The next day the rates are falling. The next day rates are at an all-time low. Um, I always tell people to refer to the 10-year bond yield. Yep. All right? So the 10-year treasury note, just like real and, – and I'm not like super into the uh, macroeconomics, if you will, uh, but I need to know how it works, obviously, because – on a micro level, it's very important um, on a day-to-day basis. So the general gist of how I was really taught how interest rates work and how you can kind of figure out where they're going, et cetera, and why they are the way they are, is whenever there's uh, uncertainty in the stock market, big investors will take some of their money out of the stock market and place it into a more safe vehicle called the 10-year bond or into bonds, let's say. Now, when you have money going into bonds, the bond yield goes down. That's what's going to drive interest rates down. So the the bond and the interest rate are pretty much a, it's a direct correlation, right? So when the bond yield is at is is high, the interest rates also should be at high. There's other stuff that comes into play, obviously. Um, for instance, let's say let China, that was that was like the big thing that drove rates down this this last dip is that trade deal in China. And I don't know the specifics about it. I, I really don't follow that stuff, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I just know how it affects my industry. So there was uncertainty about that trade deal. So now the market's going crazy. The stock market goes into a little dip and the investors take their money out and put it into bonds. And now we have a we have the bond. I'm, I, I have it pulled up right here at 1.84, all right? To give you an example, uh, in January, the bond was at almost a three. Actually, in December of last year, it was above three. There you go. So I know it doesn't sound like a big jump. Oh, 3% to 1.8. That's only 1.5% or somewhere around that. That's a big, big swing when it comes to bonds. Yeah. Right? So now, just in the past month, 
I'd say. We dipped, right? And then we're also, now we're back up again. Mm -hmm. And now everybody's scared. Oh, refinance business. It was there for a minute and now it's gone. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, should I wait to lock? All these questions, you know, that, that people ask. Um, but the main thing I always like to say is interest rates right now, historically speaking, are still low. Money's still they cheap. They will yeah. be, in my opinion, for a good amount of time. Gotcha. Um, the the better the economy does, the be the higher interest rates get. Right. The what happened during the you know the crash is the Fed was pumping out money dirt cheap, and the banks were able to lend money dirt cheap. Right. Mm -hmm. But the economy can't operate on you know, 0% interest or 1% interest forever. They yep. need to tick up. Um, and that's, I mean, again, I don't like, I don't, not, not that I don't like it. I do find it interesting, but I don't um, spend a lot of time figuring out the macro stuff. I just know right now rates are good and I think they'll stay good for a while, but general trend speaking, if I had to say a prediction, they're going to go up. Okay. You think they're going to go back up to five or beyond five, or you think it's going to stay? Um, if we don't have a recession, yeah. Gotcha. Which is a big if. Yeah. I mean, people say it's coming. We're due for one. I, I don't know how that stuff works either, to be honest. I don't, I don't brand myself as that expert by any <laughs> means, right? I, I, I'm, good at, I'm really good at loans. I, I don't know what the economy is going to do. Consult your financial advisor on yeah, whether yeah. you should put money into well, listen, your 401k or not. There's people that make millions and millions of dollars trying to predict it, and they get it wrong, so don't worry about it. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Uh, and and they, make, they make money whether the market does well or doesn't. So yeah, Exactly, <laughs> you know? exactly. So listen, we're coming up on our hour here. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to give you the floor. What do you want to plug? What do you want to talk about? Talk about your business. Talk about the, the brewery thing and, and anything you want to get out there for, for anyone that's going to see this. Right. Okay. Um, so I would say if you're listening to this right now and you're contemplating on buying a house or selling a house, contact you guys, right? Um, if you're listening to this right now and you're thinking about refinancing or, or you know, buying a house, contact me. Now, how do you contact me? Um, I'll throw out my cell phone number, 516-265-4244. Um, and also on the other side, so if you're a real estate professional and you're looking for a team to join, contact you guys because you guys are absolutely killing it right if you're a real estate professional and and you know yesterday was sunday and you couldn't get a hold of your loan officer and you you missed out on that house because you're you couldn't put in the offer quick enough for your buyer contact me because that's not going to happen right that's yeah. i have a i have a I have a very uh, strong opinion about working weekends i work weekends i'm you know I'm 24 years old. There's no reason not to work a weekend, right? Agreed. Now's the time. Yep. Um, and I'd say if, if you are looking for like a cool networking space, brewery is definitely a, a cool thing. I'm going to come to the next one. my IG handle out there to uh, not your average lender. Yeah. And, awesome. Uh, I definitely come to the next ones. one. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Eric. That was awesome. Yeah, it was. Well, this is Thank the Pesha Lands Lot of Team podcast. That was Eric Braun. He's awesome. Uh, of Contour Mortgage. Thank you for coming on. Uh, with regards to us, if you want to get in touch with us, our number is 
5168889711. That's 5168889711. You want to send us an email, it's info at pl-team.com. That's info at pl-team.com. Uh, boys, you got anything to say before we cut no. this off? Nope. All right, we are out. <laughs>